0: Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Kortz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. Well, we come to that uh, time of, of year where we're... Going on vacation, coming back from vacation, hoping to go on vacation, wishing we could be on vacation, Uh, wherever you are, welcome. I'm glad you're here. I just hope you're not on vacation right now, because I I need your full attention. Hey, hey, listen, um, we are at that place where uh, I'll be uh, gone for the next, I don't know, five weeks. Dr. uh, David Horner will be with us. Gary Chapman will be with us. Uh, we'll get to hear for the first time from, uh, doc- well, not really doctor, but uh, yes, our, our new executive pastor, Adam Hatton. Uh, I guess we could give you an honorary doctorate for that Sunday. If it would make you preach better, that's what we'll do. Uh, we'll get a chance to hear from him for the first time, and of course, Bill Kettner as well, and I'll see you back again the first Sunday of August. So, remember on sabbatical, I'm not riding a sea do 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But actually prepping for sermon series and um, doing strategic planning for the church. I'm excited about the opportunity of this particular year as we begin to think about the next three years at Center Grove and going to some deeper levels of discipleship, family ministry, and outreach, greater levels of outreach. And I'm uh, anticipating as the Lord Jesus tarries and, uh, and doesn't call us home, Uh, that uh, we will see some uh, new staff brought on this year. Uh, We not only have seen uh, Pastor Hatton come, but we anticipate uh, a new discipleship pastor and, of course, a new student pastor. And we pray and trust it will take place before this year is up and sooner rather than later. We also uh, anticipate this year seeing our debt go to zero. I'm glad to tell you that as of... Right now, we're at uh, $100,000, I think $103,000, which is a long way from $3.9 million, and uh, we're grateful for that. So keep giving, keep being faithful. Now, if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be looking at one of the most powerful passages of Scripture written for believers and their day-to-day lives. Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26 will be our focus for the morning. Galatians 5, beginning at verse 13. Paul, writing to the Galatians, says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law of God is fulfilled in one word, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But listen, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against those kinds of things There is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also, he says in conclusion, walk by the Spirit. Now, our Heavenly Father, you are the great enemy of sin. And you are, at the same time, the great friend of sinners. And your friendship to us in Christ exceeds all that we could ask for or imagine. Your friendship goes far beyond what we can comprehend. And what we can comprehend of it, Father, simply boggles our minds. And as we focus on your friendship, fills our hearts with love and gives us again and again a fresh desire to please you, to honor you, to do for you, to be for you all that you designed and desired for us to be, for we have never had such a friend as we find and have in you and in Christ. Grand Lord God, this morning, that as we gather around your word, that you might equip us today to be to you all that you deserve for us to be, to do all that you deserve for us to do for the sake of Christ and because of your great friendship to us in Christ. This we pray, our Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, to understand this passage rightly this morning, it's really important for us to start, I think, right here. It helps us to understand a couple of things about ourselves as human beings. The first thing that I think is helpful for us to understand is that we as human beings, we love easy answers to difficult questions, And perhaps if there's anything we love more than that, it would be easy solutions to difficult problems. And if you can ever find an easy answer to a difficult question that is also an easy solution to a difficult problem, you almost always have us as human beings hooked. You almost always have us hooked. Next time you go online, see if you don't find yourself, your attention arrested by some doctor who's got an ad saying, if you'll just stop eating A, B will happen. He's discovered a secret. She's discovered a secret. If you just don't do this, that will happen. It's an easy solution to a difficult problem. Stop eating rice. You'll lose 100 pounds in three weeks time. We love that kind of thing. We love that kind of thing. We look for that kind of thing. Why? Well, because life is already hard. Thinking is hard. And it's so much easier to do life with somebody else doing the thinking for us. If you really want to know the true power of Facebook or the true power of Instagram, or the true power of podcasts and newscasts, it is right here. Someone is offering to do the thinking for us. Someone is offering to answer hard and complex and frightening, solve hard, complex, and frightening problems with some easy answer or summary. Our love for uh, easy answers And easy solutions isn't just found in our politics or our culture or our relationships. It's also found in our spiritual lives as well. We're, We're drawn to easy spiritual explanations and easy spiritual solutions. And this seems to be exactly what was taking place among the churches in Galatia or modern Turkey. Paul had come to them. He had founded most of these churches. He founded them with the gospel of Jesus that said, God sent his son to live a sinless life, die a substitutionary death, rise from the dead, all for sinners who could not save themselves. And he did all of this for sinners so that those who repent and put their faith in Christ could be forgiven of their sins, given a new life like his and have eternal life. Paul's gospel was essentially Jesus for us, Jesus in spite of us, Jesus in our place. And the Galatians received this good news gladly. But there were some teachers who had come into Galatia and uh, they brought spiritual answers to spiritual questions that every believer asks sooner or later. And their answers were those kind of answers that also came as solutions to a set of serious spiritual problems that made their teaching very, very attractive. They brought answers to questions you and I ask, inevitably. Why Why do believers still crave sin and struggle with sin even after finding new life and freedom from Christ? Why, after all he's done for us, do we still find this craving for sin in us? Where does this constant struggle over sin come from? And how can believers overcome in this struggle with sin? Why is it there? Where does it come from? How do I defeat it? Now the answers that these teachers brought can be basically summed up this way. The salvation that Christ won for you, he won for you without your works, that's right. But the salvation he won for you, these teachers said, is actually kept by you with your obedience to the Old Testament laws and customs and ceremonies. In other words, Christ saves you without your working for it but the salvation he gives you, you've got to keep by working for it. You've got to keep yourself and your salvation safe with your work. So when you struggle with sin, the way you counter it is with strict obedience to God's laws. If you have a recurring struggle with sin, it's because you aren't working hard enough to, to obey. Work harder, work harder struggle more. The only way to overcome sin is by self-discipline, self-resolve. Just wrestle it to the ground. Grit your teeth and wrestle it to the ground. And if you will, then the salvation that Christ won for you that was free, you'll keep. If you don't, you'll lose it. Now, no doubt these teachers are in part responding to some who use the gospel and its message of grace and forgiveness as a license for sin. There are probably no believers in this room who haven't done this. Christ died for me. He's forgiven me. I can do this. I can ask forgiveness after I do it. Is there anybody that hasn't done No, I don't, don't, don't. <laughs> it's covered. And there evidently were some folks in in that church who were doing that to to an extreme. But these teachers were also appealing to those who, who want to be sure they're doing everything right. They want a checklist to follow, to assure themselves that they're all right with God. They want their assurance to come from a checklist. Give me 10 things, check, did that check, did that check, did that check, did that, okay, I got five out of the 10. Does God still love me? Am I still okay? Well, if everything depends on what you do, not on what Christ does, you don't know. If I get nine out of ten right, and God is a perfect God, do you see how enslaving that is? Their teaching was attractive to those who want to prove to themselves and others that they're living in the right ways, that they're spiritually worthy. So these teachers effectively took the original gospel of Jesus and added works to it. But the gospel with additions is not the gospel. It's a new and a different gospel. And this explains why Paul opens his letter to the Galatians so forcefully and says in Galatians 1, Beginning at verse 6, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning now to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, that salvation is totally by God's grace through faith and never of works. If anyone preaches or teaches any other gospel, let them be accursed. Let them be damned. Let them be condemned. I would say Paul felt strongly about that. And so should we, actually. Now, this state of things compels Paul to provide answers to the same questions that every genuine believer asks. And as he does, what is important for us, especially here in this series, is he addresses the third and the final enemy that believers face in the battle that they are in. And that is the flesh inside of us. Whereas the world around us is incredibly alluring with its ideas and its pictures of how life can be without God's interference. And and while the devil beyond us is mighty with his capacity to deceive us and lie to us and undermine our faith and our faithfulness, the flesh inside us is really tough to deal with because it is us. And it has these seemingly irresistible cravings for things that God says we shouldn't want, shouldn't be involved in because ultimately they will harm us in the end. And we can find it hard to discern and deal with this enemy because this enemy is us. But the reality is this enemy that is, is us, this enemy that is in us is a traitor, And this traitor ultimately does us great harm. And so we want today to begin to explore Paul's answers to these questions that every believer asks and learn from him how this final enemy of ours, this traitor inside us, this traitor who is us, is overcome. So let's look at these questions together. First, why do I still crave and struggle with sin after finding new life and freedom from sin in Christ? Look with me at verses 13 to 15. Paul says this, he says, for you are called to freedom brothers, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For so the whole law is fulfilled actually in just one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you aren't consumed by one another. So after saying to the Galatians effectively in verses seven to 11, you are running well in Christ who hindered you, who persuaded you to add to him as if he weren't enough, Paul reminds them that they've been called in Christ, not just, and this is important, to live with freedom from sin's death penalty, but also to live in freedom from sin's presence and power in their lives. But what is more, They're meant to use this freedom from sin and from selfishness for others. And that this kind of love for others is really at the heart of what God's law and will is for them. Real freedom, Paul says, in Christ is as much freedom for as it is freedom from. In Christ, I am free from sin's penalty. I am free from sin's power, but I've also been set free not for myself, but I've been set free in Christ for others in the same way that Christ was free for me when he went to the cross and sacrificed himself. I've been set free to be free for others, to meet the needs of others in the name of Christ. Free from, free for. Free from, free for. Not free from sin to be free for more sin. Not free from sin to be more free for myself. Free from sin to be free for others. Now, What's most critical for us today is in the phrase found in verse 13. Do you see it there? Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This is where we find an answer to our very first question. Watch now, the reason the believers in Galatia and the believers in every age continue to crave sin and struggle with it after finding new life and freedom in Christ is the lingering presence of something called the flesh. Flesh is a word that's used several different ways in the Bible. It's used to refer to the bodies of of all kinds of creatures. It's used to refer to the human body, but it is also used to refer to that fallen nature in us that all human beings have, that self-centered life that denies or rejects uh, God's proper place in life, that uh, self-centered life that has a bias Toward sin and away from God's will. It just leans in sinful directions. This flesh has become part of our human nature. And this is what Paul refers to here. So when a person receives Christ, he or she receives the beginnings of a new life and a new nature from him. And while it's new to them and they celebrate that, it really is a restoration to what God had intended from the beginning. He, He brings us back to the start. He brings us back to the design, brings us back to the purpose that he had for us at the very, very beginning. Every believer though enters a restoration process which the Bible calls sanctification. And in it, believers learn to put off the old life and put on the new life more and more. We find Paul recommending this in in several of his letters. Take off, put on. Take off, put on. Take off, put on, he says. The hard reality of all of this is that the old nature remains in believers along with the new. And that is why believers continue to crave sin That's why believers can fall to it even after finding freedom from sin in Christ. The old nature that once dominated them, though now conquered in Christ, remains active in them. And this flesh or sin nature inside of them looks for opportunities to satisfy its cravings for the things God calls sin and God calls harmful to us. And that is why we still crave and struggle in spite of all that Christ has done for us. Now, let me just pause and say, this has to be for genuine believers one of the most painful places of all of Christian experience. When we pause to think about all that Christ has done for us, When we pause to think of all that Christ has forgiven us for. When we pause to remember how the sinless Son of God took on the sin of the world, so contrary to His nature, and experienced in Himself separation, a separation from His Father, forsaking that he had never experienced before, when we pause to consider that, it's then that we begin to see how shocking it really is that we would sin again after finding this Christ. We rightly celebrate his grace. We rightly celebrate his forgiveness. But we have to be very, very careful that we don't come to have what Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously called a cheap grace a grace that we enjoy. requires very little from us, not in order to receive it, we've already received it, but a grace that we treat so cheaply that we act almost as if it were nothing. And no true follower of Jesus could ever ever say that the cross is next to nothing. But here's the rub. When a follower of Jesus lives in sin, that is effectively what we are saying. Now, we can't stay there. No true believer can stay living in sin. But this is where the pain comes, and we go, how did I do that? How did I make so little of him who did so much for me? What is wrong with me? Why can't I get this right? Why do I keep going back to the same stuff over and over again as if I were crucifying him again? Why? What is wrong with me? I have flesh inside of me that craves that stuff. And while it is going, it has not gone. Paul explains all of this further by, by answering the question in verses 16 through 18, where does this constant struggle over sin come from? And this is, this is exquisite here. Listen to what he says. He says, but I, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you aren't under the law. So here Paul introduces for us the agent who is responsible for our transformation into holiness and Christ-likeness, the Holy Spirit. Life transformation isn't something believers do themselves, but it is something Paul is saying that is done to them. And that doesn't mean that we don't have any role in it, the Spirit changes us and our role is to cooperate with Him and accept the, the uh, tasks He gives us. Believers are called then, verse 16, to walk by the Spirit. They are called then to be led by the Spirit. Look at verse 18. He leads them then to transformation and then he follow they follow where He leads. Now, what this means is clear. Believers have a, a God-ordained alternative to living in the flesh and an alternative to misusing freedom in Christ to seize the opportunities to sin. And Paul says that that, uh, alternative is to walk by or to live led by the spirit. Because the spirit is more powerful than the flesh. This alternative is a real opportunity. It is a real possibility. Paul is holding this out saying, look, 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 look. You don't have to be captive to the old cravings. You really don't. If you know Christ and if the Holy Spirit, then if you know Christ, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you and that Holy Spirit is the one who can and will and does empower you so that the flesh does not have the capacity to influence or control you. No believer has to be captive to their old life. And this is part of the good news. It really is true. I don't have to be what I used to be. I know it's easier. I know it's easier. I know it's easier. How many of you find it easier to be the old you than the new you? You've tried. Now, I'm not going to give you the assignment to be the old you, to go out and try it for a day. You probably tried it yesterday if the truth were known. (laughs) You probably did. It's, It's kind of the default mode, but you don't have to. You don't have to. You don't have to be captive to that old way of life. But this isn't the simple answer that the Galatians uh, may want to hear, as Paul goes on to show. Why? Because sanctification is a process. And because it is a process, watch this there will always be conflict within us between the, the flesh or the sinful nature inside us and the Holy Spirit who has come to live in us as well. And this is what I want you to see both of these are present in a believer. Both are vying to control and direct our lives and our choices. So listen carefully. Inner conflict isn't abnormal in the Christian life. Inner conflict is the normal Christian life. There will always be a battle going on inside of you. Always. Because the flesh wants what the flesh wants. And the spirit wants what the spirit wants. And there is no truce that will be forthcoming. That's what Paul describes. Look at verse 17. What our fallen human nature desires is opposed to what the spirit wants. And what the Holy Spirit desires is opposed to what the flesh wants. And these two enemies are never going to be reconciled. So Paul says confidently then again in verse 16 that we won't satisfy the desires of the flesh if we live by or live based on the Spirit's desires. We won't, but there will still be conflict. Of course, the reverse is also true. We won't satisfy the desires of the Spirit if we live by the desires of the flesh. Now, what all of this means then are two things. First, it means that you and I, if we're followers of Christ, we're not helpless. We are not the helpless battleground of two opposing forces. Regardless of how it feels, we aren't helpless. Yes, if you yield to your flesh, you'll be enslaved to it again, and you'll live in spiritual defeat, and you'll live in misery. I said to you last week, I'll say again, the most miserable people on the planet are followers of Jesus who aren't following Jesus. The most miserable people on the planet are followers of Jesus who, aren't who are not following Jesus. What is critically different between you and me, if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, and the rest of the world, is that all they have, all that those apart from Christ have is flesh. They don't have the Spirit. There is no inner turmoil there. It all seems natural for us. The stuff we used to do is not natural anymore. It's natural, but it's not natural because we got a new nature. Does that make sense, kind of? It's natural in on one hand, but it's not natural on the other hand. And so we're always living in a state of conflict. So if you yield to your flesh, you're gonna be defeated and miserable. But if you yield to the Spirit's direction, you live in the freedom that Christ gives you, live your life, Doing God's will, you won't need God's law. You'll do God's will from the heart, not under compulsion, but with victory, with joy. You'll do it because you want to. You yield to the Spirit. There's great joy. He empowers and directs you. So in Christ, and this is what Paul's getting at in verse 18... You aren't left to yourself to try to obey the Old Testament law any longer as a way to earn God's approval. When you're led by the Spirit, God himself in you guides you and empowers you to obey all that his law wants and all that his law requires. And it's a joy. So this struggle inside you comes from two powers that want to influence and direct your life. The struggle is normal, and it won't end until Jesus comes or calls you home. But you're not helpless. Christ has left for you the most powerful helper in his spirit. Don't worry. I won't leave you alone. I'll send a helper to come to you, Jesus said. Do you remember that in John? Secondly, all of this means, look at the end of verse 17. Because these are opposed to each other, this conflict, Paul says, keeps you from doing the things you want to do as a believer. One of these powers, and this is what you've got to understand about yourself, one of these two powers will determine the direction of your life at any given time. No believer can act without the influence of the flesh or the influence of the spirit. We're governed either by one or the other at every single point in life. But the good news is, verse 18, that in this battle, things aren't equal. The Holy Spirit is far stronger than the flesh. He is for us where the flesh is a traitor working against us. And when we yield to him, he leads us in victory, which sets us up for our final question. How can I overcome this struggle over sin. Look at verses 19 to 25. Paul offers us three ways that believers can be involved in this inner struggle and cooperate with the Holy Spirit. They can know the signs, they can cultivate the habit of crucifixion, and they can cultivate the habit of affirmation. Now, you say, pastor, this sounds like this could be another sermon. Ah, and you're right. But here's my struggle. Do I let them go on into their vacations fighting the flesh and the spirit? And you know how vacation is. Vacation is all flesh. The kids are screaming in the car, flesh. Your husband forgets your luggage, flesh. Your wife thinks that you should pack your own luggage, flesh. You wind up down there on the coast, and all you've got is a pair of khakis and one blue sock. All right, so you say, well, pastor, what are we going to do then? Because, well, how about this? How about we just stretch this sermon just a little more? Let's talk about the signs, and then when I come back, we'll talk about the other two. Does that sound like a deal? at least I can give you some of the signs. Can we do that? Okay, you don't seem too excited about it, but (laughs) these aren't easy answers to hard questions. All right, here we go. Paul says, know the signs. Now, I want you to notice with me in verses 19 through 23. Paul says, look, the flesh demands certain things, and the Spirit produces certain things. And you can know which one has a dominating influence in your life based upon what is coming from your life. Is what is coming from your life what the flesh demands or what the spirit produces? Well, what does the flesh demand? Know the signs, Paul says. Paul says, look at verse 19. He says, the works of the flesh are evident. They're obvious if you look for them. Hey, pause, pause. Do not look for signs of the flesh in anybody else right now. Or you're going to shortcut the work of the Spirit. Look at these signs. Look at yourself. All right? Trust the Holy Spirit with your spouse. You cannot be the Holy Spirit to your spouse. Amen? Amen. Have you tried? It doesn't work. You cannot be the Holy Spirit to your children. Have you tried? It doesn't work. You can't be the Holy Spirit to your parents. Have you tried? Doesn't work. Don't try to be the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Let him work in you. All right, what are the works of the flesh? Look with me. First, there there are the works of the flesh that, that represent the worship of pleasure. Sexual immorality. That's any and all sex outside of monogamous, heterosexual marriage. Impurity. Those are general moral violations, lies, deceit, stealing. Sensuality, that's any kind of sexual excess indecent conduct. Any of that in your life, and pornography would fit in there, any of that in your life is a demonstration. It is a manifestation of flesh and of who is in control. Secondly, second category, the worship of false gods, idolatry, the worship of anything other than God money, power, position. Sorcery, involvement in anything related to the occult, witchcraft. The worship of power and control, particularly in relationships. Enmity, that's hostility toward other people. Racism fits here. Strife, bickering, quarrels. That's why I mentioned vacation. I mean, you really got to have lots of quiet times before you go. You need to have a quiet time on the day that you go. You need to have a quiet time on the way that you're going. But see, that's the problem with all the bickering and the quarreling going on in the backseat. All right. Jealousy, the desire to have what another person has. Fits of anger, outbursts of rage are all signs I'm living in the flesh. Rivalries, putting self ahead of others regardless of what happens to them. Dissensions and divisions. It's kind of a party spirit. We're right, they're wrong. Separating into groups to oppose each other. Uh, Pro-mass, anti-mass. I'm going to let that hang there just a minute. Oh, but, no, don't give me any oh, but, anything. When God's people divide over stuff like that, it's flesh. What unites me is not whether you agree with me. What unites me with you is Jesus. You say, I don't like that. Flesh, thank you, sir. Envy, that's wanting another person to lose what they have. It's not wanting what they have, it's wanting them to lose what they have. The worship of freedom and release from limits, drunkenness, self-explanatory, orgies, carousing, excessive partying, things like these. The The flesh is at work in us to force certain things out of us just like a cruel taskmaster. And here's the thing. Every one of these feels wonderfully good and can even feel righteous when we're doing them. But every single one of them harms us and harms others in the end. And that's why you need to understand your flesh is a traitor who betrays you and who will harm you. You can give in to these things if you want to, but you will be destroyed by them. So what about, what are the signs that I'm walking and living in the spirit? Let's look at those. Oh, by the way, Paul says, I warn you, as I've warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, what's important here is for me to say to you, he's not saying those who do these things one time will lose their salvation. And if you had the benefit of the Greek and all that, which you don't, and I do, so let me just tell you. What he's saying is those who continue in these things as a pattern of life over time, this is just who they are. They're not saved. If these are, are, are issues in your life and they have always been an issue, and there's no victory, there's no correction, there's no repentance, there, there's no change... There's no spirit in you. There's just flesh. That's the point. A genuine believer will have the spirit of God and the spirit of God will always be warring against those things. But a person who doesn't have the spirit will just fall into those patterns and stay in those patterns because they have no contrary force acting against it. Does that make sense to you? All right. So what, about the, uh, what are the signs of, of victory? Those are signs of defeat in your life. What are signs of victory? When can I know that I'm genuinely living in a spiritually healthy life? Well, there are certain virtues in the mind and heart, in relationships and in conduct. There will be love. A genuine self-giving care for others will be part of my life. There will be joy, a heart satisfaction and delight in the things of the Lord. There will be peace, a sense of wholeness, wellness, fullness in God. Even though there's a conflict in me between the flesh and the spirit, there will be this sense of wholeness when I'm walking in the spirit. I may be at battle, but... but. I have, uh, in the midst of of, of that struggle, there is a wholeness. I am as I should be. God is where he should be. And that's where peace settles in, even when there's conflict. There are virtues in relationships, patience, I endure with you, kindness, I help you, goodness, I seek your benefit over my own. There's virtues in my conduct. I'm faithful. I'm trustworthy. I'm reliable. I'm gentle. I'm not harsh with you. I'm not easily angered by you. I'm understanding with you. There is self-control. There's a measure of self-mastery. I'm able to tell the flesh no, and I'm able to say to the Spirit, yes, I have self-control. Now, Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. Good laws exist to prescribe good behaviors and restrain bad behaviors, but there is nothing evil here to restrain and nothing this good that any law can enforce. The law can't tell you to do these things. Only the Spirit of God can empower you to do these things. But He can and He will. Now, let me just pause and say this as we close. Loved ones, hear me carefully. You found yourself, I trust, in both lists. If you didn't, you weren't listening or you don't care. And that's okay. I leave you with the spirit and he'll work it all out. But you probably found yourself in both lists. Let me say to you, Remember, the Christian life is a journey. And you may have a real struggle with being gentle. You may have a real struggle with being kind. You may have a temper. You may struggle with uh, issues of lust. All of these things, every single one of us in this room have places of struggle in the flesh. You may not be perfectly loving, perfectly patient. Your ambition at the end of the day is to see yourself resorting to the flesh less and less and less and leaning on and into the power of the Spirit more and more and more so that eventually there are issues from the past that just never show up anymore because God, by His Spirit, has given you the victory. And there are places in you that were never present before that now are set up and solid because you have walked with Jesus long enough and have learned the art of saying no to the things of the flesh, yes to the things of the Spirit, so much so that where you were once very impatient, now you're very patient. Once you struggled with being kind, you could fake it, but you knew you were faking it. And now you're genuinely kind. And all of this comes from the presence and the power and the work of the Spirit as you have said yes to him, I'll follow you. Teach me to take this off and put this on. I will not tell you you can do it because you can't. But what I will tell you is he can and he will. And if you know Christ, the Spirit of God lives in you and what he wants for you is love and joy and peace and, and gentleness and goodness, faithfulness and self-control. And he has those for you. He has those for you so that the world might see in you Jesus Father, how grateful we are that you are an enemy of sin and a friend of sinners. Father, our prayer today is that you might reveal to us, those of us who are followers of Jesus here today, who have come to know the gift of your Son, his death on the cross as being for us and for our sin, who have, by repentance and faith, turned to him and given to him our lives. Our prayer, first, Father, is that for those of us who are your friends in Christ, Lord God, you would reinforce in us a hatred of sin and a love of holiness and righteousness and all that is good. Let it be said, Lord God, that we are holy and righteous and growing in those things, in our homes, in our secret places, on our vacations, in that place where we work in our schools, wherever we are found on that soccer field, that the signs and evidences of the fruit of your spirit are being shown and shared more and more in and through our lives. Help us to be more like you, enemies of sin, friends of sinners. For that friend who is here today, Lord God, who has never known in truth this fruit of which we've read today, this transformation of life, this freedom from cravings that addict and bind. Oh, Lord God, our prayer is that this would be the day in which seeing themselves as they are, there might be a time of surrender, of repentance, of turning away from that life and of turning to you and of crying out to Christ to save. May this be the day when new lives begin from old. For Jesus' sake, we ask it. Amen. 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 Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.